This episode of Eye to Eye is brought to you by Janique Locks. If you're looking to get started, there's no better place. She specializes in all kinds. Dreadlocks, micro locks, sister locks, lock extensions, instant locks, interlocking, and more. If you're in the 757, please don't hesitate to contact her. You can find her on Instagram at Janique Locks. That's G-E-N-I-Q-U-E-L-O-C-S, Janique Locks. Or you can find her at her website, JaniqueLocks.com. Janique Locks, where locks are envied. All right, let's go ahead and start this podcast, man. Hey, what's good, people? It's Jordan. Just a heads up, man. This episode is going to be really good. At the same time, it's going to have some subject matter that might be a little uncomfortable for some folks, uh, especially uh, things that are sexually graphic in nature. Uh, just putting that out there. So if you got kids around you, you might want to put them in bed just a little early. Uh, but other than that, though, still really good content and hoping that you enjoy it. Like right now, you can. Oh, I got to hit play. My bad. OK, I'm going to do that now. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the I too. Now, I keep trying stuff and I, I, whatever I quit. Um, I say that every week and I'm still going to do it and I'll probably still quit. But welcome to the latest and greatest episode of I to I short for inspired to inspire the podcast. It's all about being open, honest and real, having conversations about life and faith. And as always, you know, we are willing to boldly go. Eric, you saw that, right? You, you saw Devin mocking me. Uh, yeah. We're, we're I'm happy to finally see it in person. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I usually just get to hear it. Yep. Can I get a witness? <laughs> yeah, well, most folks ain't trying to. Uh, and of course, my name is Jordan. And my name is Devin the Mocker. Yes, Devin the, mo- the Mockery. Yeah. Such a mockery. And as always, we're glad to have you guys on. And this episode, man, oh, man, oh, man. Listen. Yeah, we're about to have a, a good time. Um, and so I really just kind of want to get down to it. Uh, Devin, in three words, how you doing? Doing good. Doing good. It's. Uh, I wish it were warm. It's been cold. Yeah, that was not three words. All right, cool. At first, I thought it was just two. And then he decided to go the other way, route and do like 11. <laughs> three words. You know that I can't do three words. Yeah, he outrouted. He outrouted. Yep. Doing oh, well. really good. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> three words. That's good. In three words, I am recovering. Um, and then I'll add another three yeah, RIP Chiefs. Okay. Well, I don't even know if that's the whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah. So can't use acronyms. <laughs> hey, that's, that's not that doesn't count. <laughs> it does now. I mean, look, it's my podcast. I do what I want. Uh, <laughs> like a but, Baptist yeah. sermon. I have three points, and yes. then I have twelve sub points under each point. Yes. Yo, hey, that could be a white folk wonder because we could do that with the black mm-hmm. church too. Point one, point B. <laughs> Yeah, there is. If you see a Roman numeral anywhere in your notes, you're screwed. Mm -hmm. Yes. True story. 
Very true. Anyway, so the the sound of the, of the voice you guys are hearing is a very, very special guest, uh, a very new good, good friend uh, that we are glad to have on and to discuss uh, some topics that, oh boy, um, he might boldly go even harder than we do in, in some instances. But uh, I said, I'm going to introduce you uh, in a second to Eric Skwarzynski. But yeah, we just, uh, we're excited about this, this conversation. Uh, we're going to talk about he and what he does and and uh, actually kind of appreciate him because he's helping us get our lives straight. Uh, but yeah, I'm going I'm to let you take it away, Eric. So who are you, sir? What do you do? What's up? Yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, we just got done recording an episode for my show. And uh, I'm it's, it's intimidating. I'm sitting with two hosts that have the most sultry podcast voices uh, of all time. And so uh, I, I, I told you off my last show, I sat down with someone and I said, I've listened to your whole show. And I, I instantly felt like I didn't say anything, but I just instantly was a gut punch. of Like, I feel so bad that they had to listen to this voice for so long. But uh, yeah, my name is Eric Skorzynski. I host the Preacher Boys podcast. And it is as niche as niche can be. I, I focus on abuse within independent uh, fundamental Baptist churches. There's about anywhere from three to 6,000, depending on which uh, poll you read, but they're not exactly the type to take polls. So I think it's safe to say um, it's probably about five or 6,000 uh, churches, um, but abuse is a huge problem. And, and, uh, and so I've been working on kind of exposing that. It, it, it does, you know, kind of structurally look very different than say a Catholic church, which has been reported on quite a bit. It's easy to follow those threads uh, with the independent Baptist movement. They are independent when it's very convenient. So it becomes very hard to track them when there is a you know scandal or something like that. But uh, I think I've got down to a pretty good science at this point, uh, but I've been doing it for about a year. The show's been doing really well. And uh, even people who are outside the movements, uh, I mean, abuse looks the same everywhere. So there's people that resonate with the stories that are shared. Um, I have Catholics, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventists that have reached out and uh, listened to the show as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's been really good and I'm really excited to be here. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I've had a chance, Eric, to listen to uh, a handful of your shows. I've only been recently introduced to it. Um, there's a large backlog of episodes that I definitely want to hit. Why don't you give us an idea of some of the abuses that are going on? Uh, what are some of the most common ones? Because I think people can kind of have an idea of what they might be. They might be right. They might be wrong. But just give us a little bit of a background on some of the things that you've uncovered along the way and what kind of surprised you. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, abuse is a is a broad term. So to to narrow it down a little bit more, like primarily most of my interviews, I deal with people who've been physically or sexually abused. But none of that happens without mental abuse happening first. Um, whether that's grooming, whether it's you know just you know just verbally bashing somebody, whether it's manipulating them, um, and so I cover mental, physical, and sexual abuse. Um, a, a large majority. Um, it breaks down like you'd expect the statistics to. Um, there's a lot more female abuse. Um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, you know, we talked about on my show just recently. There's a lot of racism uh, in in areas of the country. The Bible Belt, ironically, is a is a place where there's a lot of racism. Um, it should be the place where you'd expect the least, but here we are. Um, but you've got a lot. I mean, sexual abuse is one of the the linchpins within that world, um, and it all goes back to within the independent Baptist world. It's the amount of power given to the pastor. Um, you know, they're they're referred to as the man of God, but you could take those two words out, and that's more functionally how it plays out. Um, they tend to be gods over their congregation, and so when someone has a lot of power and very little accountability, it's a recipe for disaster. And so you see, you know, pastors like Jack Scott in Indiana driving a 
15-year-old across state lines for quote unquote counseling um, and nobody asking questions about it. You know, you've got a, you've got a Cameron Giovanelli out of um, Maryland opening up a phone line for a girl in his church to privately communicate with him. You know, you've got a father and two sons out of Texas who are, you know, abusing children together. I mean, there's some pretty intense stories, um, but it all comes back to that power struggle. Like you've got people who have unlimited amounts of power and they have a, if they do have leaders underneath them, they're just yes men. And uh, people basically get away with whatever they want to get away with. Yeah. The episode that I most recently listened to was about Westboro Baptist, which of course is, is kind of widely known. Um, but that's, it's not really widely known because of these abuses. It's more widely known just because of their absolute hatred for uh, right. various people groups that that live here in the States. Uh, you know, it's, it's racism, it's homophobia, it's that types of stuff. So that's like a lot of headline grabbing type material, but the stuff that you're talking about in these churches, I don't feel like those things are grabbing headlines. Why are these yeah. things not being widely covered or widely reported? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think the big issue is that it's not easily trackable. So like in a, in a Catholic church, you can say this parish is a mess. Like that's what happened when the spotlight story came out, uh, out of the Boston, the Boston globe is, is, you know, Hey, here's this parish, this leader, and this leader work together to cover abuse. You had an abuser, you had a person covering for them. Within the independent Baptist world, one of their core doctrines, as the name implies, is they're, they're separated, they're independent. So they, they don't function under a certain organization. They don't function under a, like, here's the president of the organization, like the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, it, it's, it's much more um, loose, I would say, in the way that it's it's structured, like church government wise. But the reality is, is that they're not truly independent. There are networks of these churches. They they hire from the same Bible colleges. They speak at the same conferences. If they need to assemble to talk about an issue they do deem important, then they can all find each other and get together in a room. And nobody who's outside of their movement is going to be allowed. So there is mm. a denomination there, um, but it is very difficult to pin something because the minute that there is an abuse case, like most of them will scatter out and say, we're independent. We don't know what's going on there. <laughs> um, if it comes to King James onlyism or it comes to political issues, um, it's amazing. Like they, they have an Awake America conference and hundreds of pastors can make it to DC to talk about, you know, voting Republican. But when it comes to sex abuse cases, like what prompted the show to start, um, trying to find a pastor that would speak out against it was near impossible. And they all went to, we're independent. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's just difficult. It's difficult to track. I talked with a reporter just a few days ago, and that was one thing that they hit on is they said, it's really hard to tell this story. And I said, yeah, unless you're in it, <laughs> then it becomes pretty easy to see the pattern. Wow. Just, wow, dude. Yeah, no, I, it's funny because we were just talking about uh, that on a previous episode um, and how it's, it's not just you know, one sect of, of the Christian faith, you know, you would think that it would be with everything that's kind of come up um, with other reformed pastors. Uh, we were talking about Mark Driscoll, of course. Mm. And then of course, recently you got Carl Lentz and, um, and then, you know, to be honest with you, um, it's one of the things that kind of had my heart and really had me intrigued by some of our initial conversations because uh, my father has been um, a pastor, district superintendent of the United Methodist church. And, uh, it's actually been a decent experience for the most part, but he kind of prepared me for some of the underbelly of the church that I probably would not have been ready for um, had I not experienced it. Even indirectly, I know there was one time where he um, ended up having to preach 
uh, at a church on New Year's Day uh, some years ago. Um, and I thought he was just kind of guest preaching because he, he's, he's infamous for that because uh, I guess the people love him. Um, and didn't think anything of it until we got home later on. And I overheard him um, on the phone leaving a message for whom I found out was the pastor of that church, uh, basically saying that he was not allowed on the premises to get his things unless he was being escorted by an officer. Um, and a little deep digging uh, showed me that the reason why that pastor was not allowed to be in there anymore was because he was uh, being told to leave the church. And that was part of the guidelines of him not being arrested uh, for having indecent liberties with a minor. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I don't put this past anybody, even uh, even myself, and I, I continually fight to be self-aware. Um, I wonder uh, for you, um, what is your real eye to eye in this? Is there something that is a direct experience for you? Because, you know, we talk about inspiration and how uh, we redefine it on this show, and it doesn't always look like sunshine and lollipops. You know, sometimes it is those uh, catastrophic moments that kind of settle within your heart. Uh, not to retract from it, but to go all in to to do exactly what you're doing right now. So, um, is there is there a is there an origin story there? You know, we we do Marvel stuff around here. So yeah, yeah. There's two there's two key stories, and I'll I'll try to keep it super super short. But I mean, really, when I was about you know, I was I was sold out. I was a Christian teenager. I grew up. My parents were staff on a church. Dad was the assistant pastor. He was the principal of the Christian school I went to from K five through uh, my senior year of high school on that same property. My my uh, mom was a teacher. And so I was as in it as you could possibly be. Um, and, you know, I didn't have any issues. I, I was a good kid. I didn't go through a rebellious stage. I'd never, my dad and me never had a moment where I slammed the door and said, I hate you, you know, that we can remember. And, you know, uh, both both of us just say like, there was never a point where it was just, you know, this normal, like bad teenager moment, you know, like I was I was just a good kid. You know, I did bad things, but I wasn't, and I wasn't smoking, you know, uh, smoking meth behind a dumpster at the school, like, you know, um, and so, um, you know, you know, it, my brother, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyway, so I, I wasn't, I wasn't doing any of that, but, but then coming into a, about 16 or 17, um, there was a coach who was at a school up in Northern California. We were in Southern and I found out that he was going to be coming to our church. And so I reached out to one of the guys on his basketball team that I knew. I said, hey, are you gonna are you bummed out that your youth pastor and your coach is is moving? And he said, not really. He's like, he didn't even say goodbye to us. And so I I Googled his I Googled his name to see if I could find a church announcement or something that said why he was moving and found an article saying that he had a warrant out for his arrest for um, you know, basically having a four-month-long um, you know, it's it said relationship with a minor. But I mean, he was he was molesting a a 15-year-old girl as a 30-year-old youth pastor. So there's a there's a and she was a babysitter working with them. So there's a lot of power <laughs> structure there. Um, but he came to our church. I was the first one to find out. I tried to figure out what to do with the information. And um basically, I mean, it took two years of me saying, like, hey, something serious needs to happen. This needs to be addressed to the church. Uh, it never was. And he's still on the platform to this day, uh, leading music every Sunday. So if you go into a live stream, he's still there. Um and so, yeah, they they pulled him down for wow. a few a few months, but it was nothing permanent. And he's uh, he's still there. Still, nobody knows. Um, and then, what really pushed me to the show is that situation got me studying the movement as a as a whole, which I could go down stories for for forever. Um, but for the last like seven years, I've been telling my wife, I'm going to do a documentary. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to do something. Write a book. And she just kept saying, well, you need to do it or stop talking about it. <laughs> and, 
and yeah, in 2019, um, I was, I was, uh, sitting there listening to a story about Sarah Jackson out of uh, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, yeah. similar story. Exactly. Uh, the only difference is this time one, an independent Baptist, Baptist pastor spoke out and acknowledged that there's a ton of abuse in the movement. And I thought, great, that's going to open the floodgate. Here come all the good pastors. There were none. Instead, him and the victim got smeared and slandered for the next several months. Um, and uh, there was actually the, the final straw, the moment that made me start the show was there was a pastor that sent out a letter on the church letterhead trying to raise support for Cameron Giovanelli's legal fees after he pled guilty to sexual abuse. And so when that happened, I recorded a quick video on my car, said, hey, if you're connected with this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, or this ministry, you need to leave your church. Um, and then like the next day I said, hey, I'm going to do some kind of documentary or podcast about this. And uh, my inbox blew up and it's still blowing up to this day now over a year later. That's crazy. So yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting. I think we always find some sort of sort of eternalizing as to why we do something. And then you're never quite sure where it takes you. Like you probably never thought it would quite take you here. Um, so what type of reception have you received? Like, I imagine this is kind of interesting, right? Like you're going up against, you mentioned there's like a thousand or 5,000 churches. And then I'm not sure how, si how, what the size of those churches are. Um, I mean, we're probably talking, you know, millions of people in, in total and you're kind of coming after them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, it's definitely a small denomination, but I mean, it's what, it's about one point. I, I think the survey team was one point. 8 million or something identify as Baptist, which is 1% of the, mm. of the population. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty small number, but it's also like 1.8 million people or whatever the number <laughs> yeah, is. So, yeah, right, so yeah, it's yeah. not a, it's not too small. I mean, 1% um, of our country manages our country. So, you know, it's right. <laughs> well, hey, I, mean, so, hey, I guess you could say that on your show. But you get into this conversation though. And um, you know, these independent Baptist churches, you've got 50 to, um, you, you've got those 50 to 100 people in a church or 250 in a church. I would say the bigger churches are about 250 because um, they split a lot. <laughs> so there's a lot of them. When we lived in Virginia, we would drive past like first, second, third Baptist church on the way to our Baptist <laughs> church. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's a, um, the reception's been interesting to say the least. I have pastors that, um, have said some pretty crazy things. Uh, I had a pastor just do a video uh, saying that, you know, millions of people are going to hell because of my podcast. I, I had a pastor who from the Stephen Anderson camp, you know, calling out, you know, what I'm doing. Um, but it's been a mix, you know, so I, I majority of the response has been silence uh, from the churches. And I think it's because they know there's accuracy to what I'm saying. And so they're just trying not to call attention to it. Uh, there's, there's other podcasts that call out some of the doctrine and they rail against those podcasts, but they're eerily silent against mine uh, with the exception of a few really outspoken pastors. Um, but then the response from some pastors has been, you know, private phone calls with me saying, Hey, I support what you're doing. Um, but I don't know that I support you specifically focusing on independent Baptist churches. Uh, why don't you focus on abuse generally, things like that. Um, but from the, the, all those responses, I was kind of braced for. I was actually braced for a lot worse responses um, than what I've been getting. The response that matters to me is that survivors are coming forward and I'm getting messages from people who, you know, hey, I was abused 30 years ago. I never told anybody. 
Um, I'm still not ready to tell anybody, but I just want you to know that because of your show, like I was able to tell my husband or my wife, or I was able to tell my parents for the first time. And honestly, as long as those messages are coming in, whatever, you know, Pastor Nathan Rager with his four church members up in Florida wants to say doesn't bother me as much um, as, as it probably would have a few years ago. So, yeah, that's cool. I imagine that would help keep you going for sure. Um, have you, you mentioned the first one that you kind of encountered like in your own life that there was a warrant out for his arrest. So like what type of law enforcement has been involved in some of the stuff? Like, I mean, clearly somebody knew something was going on. Did nothing yeah, comes yes. of it or? Yeah, it, it, it's confusing for me and it, it's hard to find the information past the article. So like at the time, I understood far less than I do now. Um, I mean, I'm dumb at 25. I was really dumb at 16. So trying to understand some of these uh, some of these things was, was difficult. But from my understanding and what's been communicated to me, and this is, again, this is secondhand information from a 16-year-old. What I understood was that, so he was found, the, the image, there were images found on his phone. He was pulled out of a game by his wife who confronted him and the girl um, the teenage girl, uh, which is again, a whole nother interesting dynamic, but, um, he confessed it to his dad. His dad called my pastor, um, and said, Hey, me and my son have a ministry disagreement. I think it'd be better for him to attend a different church. Can he come down your direction? Um, my understanding, and again, this is what was, was told to me is that the, the goal was that he wouldn't be around to be served the warrant. Um, and so there was, there was some kind of legal play there that was advised to him. Um, but again, I don't really know what that strategy was. I know he did end up actually going to court. He did plead guilty um, after pleading uh, not guilty originally. And then he ended up pleading no contest um, in his in his last hearing. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know what the strategy was, but yeah, law enforcement was involved. And they they have been getting more involved now that we live in the age of the internet and phones and like more of the stuff's getting caught. Um, police are getting involved in, in finding out this stuff a little bit easier. So yeah, it's odd to me that the Christian church has kind of its two major temples that it fights in uh, social causes such as abortion or, uh, you know, gay marriage. And then a third one that's really rising the ranks is like the pedophilia, the sex trafficking, and yet oddly, oddly silent over <laughs> what apparently yeah. is a very rampant thing among in their own households. Well, I saw so many independent Baptists sharing the hashtag save the children and, <laughs> and, you know, just constantly shared it, photoshopped images of the kids with the black eyes and, and, and the, you know, Chrissy Teigen, you know, eating flesh off of a, you know, like eating children and all this, all this ridiculous stuff. And I was like, you're the one that we need to save children from. Like yeah. it's your organization yeah. that's doing this. And again, it goes back to this thing where I think sometimes we, it's easy to fantasize about taking on this cause, but doing the actual dirty work of exposing it and talking with real victims is a lot more difficult than wondering who was on Epstein's jet. You know, like there's this, there's this like sexiness about like, hey, what's this conspiracy theory or, you know, what's this pizza shop doing with this? And it's like, what's the independent <laughs> Baptist church that you're sitting in doing? Yeah. Because I can point to a list of, you know, 200 plus names on my website and I could point to another, you know, 200 or 300 names that haven't been added yet because I don't have the time to add all of those names. <laughs> and again, for a denomination that's 1% of the U.S. population, 
you know, to be competing with the Catholic Church um, parish that had just that parish in Boston, you know, had, if you look at the numbers, like the Baptists are neck and neck with the Catholics on this, and they've got a lot less people to work with. So, what up? It's Legend, and I want to invite you to my Good Enough concert series. Look, I know what it's like to not feel good enough as a man, father, husband, artist, speaker. Maybe you can relate. But I know that God says something different about us. Says while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Meaning in our worst state, he thought we were worth giving it all for. And that makes us good enough in his eyes. So here's the deal. I started going to counseling last year to help me deal with some of this stuff. Found it extremely helpful. Right now, 60% of Americans are facing depressive symptoms and suicide is on the rise with youth and young adults. This message is more vital than ever. I wanna invite you on March 16th to join me for the Good Enough Concert Series, a virtual concert with new music and a live band and all types of stuff. But we're actually gonna use the show to connect our listeners to mental health resources if they need it. And you can be a part of that by buying a ticket. You're helping us help somebody else. Text Good Enough, G-O-O-D, E-N-U-F to 757-982-8170 or click the link below and follow me on all socials. I'll get you all the information. But I'll see you March 16th for the first of the Good Enough Concert series. And remember, God loves you. Therefore, love him and love your neighbor as yourself. The link for Legends Good Enough Concert series can be found in the show notes. Hey, what's good, Eye to Eye fam? This is Jordan. Yo, I wanted to tell y'all about a new deal the podcast is doing. Welcome to the all-new Scan-In FB podcast community. That's right, we're on Facebook, y'all. And we're giving you the opportunity to get up close and personal with Dev, the team, and me. You'll have a potential say on topics and content with our brand new mailbag. Opportunities to connect and do a one-on-one with the team. Also, FB Live very special nah you didn't go there episodes with exclusive content that's right it's only for people in the community there'll be chances to win prizes connect with others in the scanning community and so much more all you got to do is go to facebook hit the search tab and type in i dash the number two dash i colon i know we're still doing the most but what can you do i dash two dash i colon the scanning a podcast community and follow the details be an even bigger part of what it means to boldly go where most folks ain't trying to. Just our way of saying thanks, and let's get next level. Join us and become a part of the community, y'all. Scan in. Peace. Yeah, it's uh, and it's what's interesting to me is we talked a little bit about on the episode we just recorded for your show about like avoidance, um, how Christians kind of handle problems. And this seems like one of those where it's just clear cut avoidance. Like they're just thinking, well, it's it's cool to talk about all this stuff happening on a global scale. Like you said, Epstein's jet, because that's not really a part of my world. (laughs) So it's easier to talk about it because I can kind of avoid that. Um, Then at the same time, you know, something that I've seen play out over the last, even the last several months, not just because of this issue, but, you know, pastors are almost starting to play offense and, and starting to act like they're victims. Um, how much of that are you seeing in these stories that you're addressing? I'm just wondering how much of them are 
really getting defensive and then even bordering line on on playing offense because projection is a big thing we've been seeing from a lot of people uh, <laughs> yeah. who are holier than thou. So. Yeah, it, it, it's constant. I mean, it, it's, it's even if it's not by name, you know, they'll mention like people are attacking old-time religion. They're attacking in, in independent Baptist churches. They're attacking uh, fundamentalism, things like that. Um, you know, they're, they're spreading rumors. You know, I, I could point to a million clips of just different statements like that being made. And uh, I, I mean, I, I get accusations that I'm attacking the church. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian myself. Uh, and I'm pretty clear about that on all my episodes. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons that it, it helps spur on what I'm doing is that, you know, I, I, as a Christian man, am terrified to go sit in a church with my three-year-old daughter and put her into a nursery. And like, that's sad for me as a Christian, because I would love for my daughter to go get to go to Sunday school and go do these things. But there's part of me that just doesn't have that trust with this church (laughs) that I should have. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of that persecution complex with pastors, um, and the, there is a lot of deflection. But it's just straight up denial of what's happening. Um, I mean, David Hiles comes to mind. Uh, he's a he's you know he's yeah. the son of Jack Hiles, who's one of the like founders of the movement. Um, David Hiles was um, you know raped a teenage girl in his in his office. Two have come out and said that that happened. So you've got at least two people. There's been more that have kind of whispered about it and been kind of low-key about it. Um, but you have two people that publicly have come out and said it. The stories, you know, seem to match up with the timeline and everything. Then you've got uh, then you've got David Hiles leaving and going to a church in Texas because of that scandal. Uh, then someone finds a briefcase full of uh, pictures of him and his wife at orgies with in swinger magazines requesting, you know, people to go. So, and then you find out he's got 16 people he's having affairs with, literally about 16 people at that church that he's having sex with as a pastor. Uh, then you have him go to a church in Florida where he's having sex with his secretary, same kind of setup. Um, she gets busted in a prostitution ring a few years later and has the tattoo David's girl on her thigh. Um, and he's still in ministry at this point. Um, and then just this last year, um, you know, you find out that there's a girl over in the Philippines that he's been having a relationship with who's in her 20s. He's married, still running a ministry, and is uh, is sending back and forth, you know, shirtless pictures of himself. I literally posted a screenshot from his messages of him shirtless that he sent to this girl. He's still in his ministry. There's still pastors supporting him. And he's in the work of restoring other fallen pastors. So you have literally the blind leading the blind, except for in this case, you have pedophiles leading pedophiles. And it's a, it's a pretty startling situation to be in where I was told I couldn't preach in independent Baptist chapels because I read the English Standard Version. But uh, apparently if I had sex with my secretary or you know raped a teenage girl, I'm going to get booked for every conference that you can find. So it's well, a pretty startling. Eric, where are your kind of priorities, man? Where are your priorities? Yeah. You know, Jordan. Priorities I used to think. Real, I used to think we were, did a provocative show. Holy cow! Yeah, no, <laughs> right. And I, I'm I sitting said, here going, really like, "Your show is goes. pretty edgy, man." Like, I don't know if I would do this, but <laughs> it's it's funny because that's where um, pe- people always try to get me to watch like true crime shows. Now I get recommended all the time, like listen to this show, watch this. But like, I just I. All of my margin of dealing with this goes into my show. And then like like the Ted Bundy documentary that came out, <laughs> I, I w- my wife was laughing because I, I literally, like I watch fictional horror all day long. Like I watch 
text chains, all that stuff. I'm, My like, guy. I'm into that. Yeah. But like with my show, I can have these conversations, get into it. And then she was laughing because we were watching that documentary, which isn't super explicit in what it shows. But like, I was literally pausing. I was like, I just need to take a second because this is super heavy stuff. So I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm used to this realm, but it's, it's been really, it's been really interesting. Like there's people that are like, I could never talk about what you talk about. And I'm just like, maybe it's because I just took seven years to build up to it, but it's like, we just got to talk about it. Like this, <laughs> this has to happen at this point and it may as well be, be me, I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I think that you talk about it because it's, 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 it's ingrained in the nature of, of something that is no doubt a calling for you. Um, and you know, that, that's where this stuff gets really unsexy and I'm all for it uh, because, you know, it's, it, it's almost like the, the one thing that you clearly remind me of is, is an Old Testament prophet. Um, <laughs> you know, just uh, really begin, hey, you guys, you're doing this. You should probably stop it or something's going to happen um, is, is pretty much what they were, were known and infamous for. Um, and especially, uh, you know, a lot of them were dealing specifically with the topics of, of social justice and, and, and righteousness and right in the ship, uh, which kind of leads me to my next point and it's somewhat a question, somewhat not. But I want you to kind of speak to, um, you know, just the, the biblical principle of Ephesians 5.11, which is, of course, that which is in the darkness shall uh, be called out into the light. And specifically, you know, for me and my hermeneutical professor self, um, you know, the, the study of the semantics in the original language. We always talk about that last word shall be brought into the light or exposed, uh, but people really miss uh, the the root of the word and the fact that it's not just exposed. Because if it was just that, that'd be one thing, um, but it's actually exposed uh, for conviction or reproof or rebuke or you know um, basically something that that requires disciplinary action. Um, and I think that you're you're kind of in that that vein, but. Um, now, I'm going to speak to the heart of, of, of kind of the why behind your what in this, because from what I'm picking up, it's not just the fact that you want to put these folks on display so that they can be maimed and all that other stuff. If that was the case, then, you know, you go probably tip for tap with anybody who's up here trying to, to, to battle with you and tell you that what you're doing is, is sending people to hell. Um, but, you know, what is it, what is it, I think, currently in, like, in, in the nature of you that, that still just has you saying this, this has to happen because if not, I feel like we're not going to be able to restore the faith, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's doubly offensive, right? I mean, it's it's people attacking people made in the image of God, which is just, you know, I mean, that's a huge violation of of just, I mean, it's just a violation in general. But in, in a Christian context, taking a step further, if you're claiming to be a Christian, you know, it, it kind of goes back to that hot, cold, lukewarm conversation. If you're claiming this name, but you're going to be acting in a way that is so opposite of every Christian ideology that there is, you need to be called out because you're not just doing damage to another person. You're doing damage to like the faith and the message. So it, it needs to be called out. Th these guys are not Christians. You know, they're not, they're not pastors. They're not leaders. They're not. And so they don't need to be treated as such. They need to be called out for what they are. Um, you know, if Jesus used words like, you know, you're, you're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones to describe people who were, who were being two-faced about their, you know, how they followed the law. I mean, what kind of language would Jesus use towards someone who is, you know, touching a, a child or to hurting, uh, sexually assaulting a woman? Um, you know, and you mentioned the Old Testament prophet. I mean, 
if we went Old Testament on some of these guys for what they do, it, it would be a pretty uh, pretty brutal result. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's important to 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 call it out, bring it into the light. Um, you know, I'm wearing a shirt. You know, your sin will find you out. Um, you know, I, I think of First Timothy five uh, twenty. Those that persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so the rest may stand in fear. You know, I, I want this to be. If I want this show to be a beacon for two things, one, I want it to be a beacon for survivors to know that there are people who are even within the church that are saying this isn't okay. There's human beings that say like this shouldn't have happened to you. There's other survivors that want you to know you're not alone. But also, I I mean, First Timothy five twenty, like I want the show to be a beacon saying. If you hire a pedophile on your staff, if you hire someone who's been guilty of sexual assault, if you cover up this, like we're going to post about it. We're going to talk about it. It's going to get exposed. And I want that idea of people standing and trembling in fear. Like I want a pastor who is doing something like this to see my show, like getting shared around, to to see the episodes going out and think like, that's going to be me. Like I'm doing this right now and somehow, some way this is going to get exposed. And it may not be through my show. It may be through Julie Roy's uh, blog. It may be through some other podcast or grouping. Julie. But, yes. the, you know, we live in an age where this needs to get called out. We have the tools to do it. And there's no, I mean, rebuking people in the presence of all, like let's make all mean all. Like let's get this information out there. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like the modern church is against these public forums of rebuke. Um, not to say that we should be, you know, basically like Game of Thrones, dragging people through the streets, throwing stuff at them and yelling shame. Uh, however, <laughs> the Bible is pretty darn clear that... But if, also... <laughs> <laughs> the Bible's pretty clear about like, look, if you go to your, your brothers in, in private and they're unwilling to confess or... or change their ways, then you do need to start addressing these things in the light. And, you know, Timothy's wild, right? Because that verse says, so that they would live in like fear. Like that's, that's crazy. That's a whole nother level. Not just, hey, so that you can kind of learn from this example. (laughs) It's like, no, so literally you'll be terrified to repeat the same things. And I just feel like there's such a lack of accountability in the church. And you're only confirming this with the stories you're telling. When I'm like, hey, what, what type of you know, feedback are you getting? And you're like, well, it's either silence or it's like, hey, quit doing this. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of curious because when I first heard about what it was that you were doing, I was like, I wonder what the assignment here is. Like, I feel like for me and Jordan, a lot of times our conversations are kind of a mix of like, hey, let's, let's be somewhat of a bridge between uh, the, the world and the church because I think the world kind of sees the church as this whole separate entity and Jordan and I look at it like, no, the, the church just kind of screws up just like the world does. It needs to quit holding itself in this high pedestal. And if anything, should be more humble than the world. And thus, that'll attract people back to it. So I feel like what your show is doing is trying to do that. And we've kind of lost the idea of assignment where it's like, okay, are we trying to rescue people who are saved? Or are we trying to save the lost? Like, I think we can kind of do both. And I'm, I'm curious, what do you think? Like, where do we go from here? How do we correct this stuff? Yeah, I mean, once you know it's a problem, I had a, I had a pastor on my show and he, he talked about the idea that, you know, when you find out something like this is happening as a, as a pastor specifically, if you find out that there's abuse in your church, you're a victim of circumstances. Like you didn't ask for this to happen. You may not 
stand, you may not stand for abuse. You may, you know, it may have come out of the blue. Maybe there was just, and, and, and this is something I want to make really clear. I'm not going after churches because sex abuse happens. If you get a hundred people in a room, one of them is going to be bad. Two of them are going to be bad. Three of them are going to be bad. There, there, there's going to be bad people in any grouping of people. This is not church exclusive. This is with any group, corporate America. We see this happen all the time. So I want to be crystal clear on that. But also it's, it's what you do when you find out that the abuse has happened that makes you either culpable and makes you complicit in it, or it makes you someone who's on the right side of it. You know, so, so when you find out a church member has been abused, what are you doing? Like, are you calling the police and reporting it? Are you moving that person to another church? Are you telling the victim that it was maybe their fault? You know, like what's the response there? And so I think what churches can do is one, be preemptive in, in protecting your congregation. And this happens, this isn't just the pastor's responsibility. Like if you're listening to this and you know that something might be helpful as a resource to give to a pastor, that's in your church. If you, if you're the one that's starting that conversation, you know, um, you can, you can start getting that, that, that thought going like, Hey, what's our, as baseline as do we have windows on all our doors at the church? Do we have more than one nursery worker? Do we have cameras set up? Like all of those basic conversations that can prevent some of this from happening. Again, there is no 100% foolproof way, like evil finds a way, but you can, you can work around it. You can you can make environments where it's hard for it to thrive. Um, and there's nowhere it should be harder for it to thrive than in the church context. Um, but then beyond that, I think it's also, we do a really bad job in, in being open to victims. Um, and whether that's victims of verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, domestic violence, whatever that is, um, we don't invite conversations that are difficult to happen. Um, and so um, I, I think we need to find ourselves in a position where we say, hey, from the pulpit, you know, just from our podcasts, from our just one-on-one -on -one conversations, make it very clear that if someone has been abused, that they have someone to talk to. Like put yourself out there and say, hey, this is not okay um, if this has happened to you and you have someone that you can trust and talk to about this issue. Um, and if more churches did that, I think they'd be surprised how many people would come out and say what has happened. You know, instead, I think what happens is we we don't educate ourselves. We say things that are insensitive accidentally, and we guess our way through it instead of asking people who've been through it, what's going to help you? Like, what is going to actually be a help to you? Um, and so, yeah, just really trying to secure it. And then once it happens, like, how do we address it? I mean, just baseline is like, if you're not going to the police when something like this happens, you've already messed up. Like that's, that's square one is like, let's report it. And most churches are failing the test right there. Like I'd love for the big issue to be, how do we, how do we counsel, counsel them after they've been sent to the police? But that first step rarely happens. So it's uh, yeah. baseline, yeah, let's I, report it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, man, dude, you are, you are telling us a lot. And I think it's really encouraging um, to see this because I don't know. I don't, I don't think this is really a Genesis. Uh, it, it may not be, there might be somebody else out there doing it. I know you were talking about somebody else on the, on our end of the coast that's, that's doing something similar. Um, but, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, you know, I feel like this is exactly, I feel like this is what, what, what the church really did and what the church was when it first got started. You have to remember that they were in the middle of everything. Um, and I think that they had a huge, huge level of empathy because of 
uh, just the amount of persecution that they actually endured uh, during that time. So, of course, anybody who comes into their fold, they're looking to care for them um, and kind of make them, you know, relatives and the family of Christ. Um, you know, I, uh, I think we, we don't have too much time left. Deb might have one more question, but, um, you know, just speak to, you know, the, the heart of, of, of a restored church in, in your mind concerning this kind of stuff. Um, if you can just, just briefly, because I feel like that's the one thing that people need to hear. Um, I think the one thing that some folks need to hear in this situation, specifically those pastors, like you were just saying, who were kind of caught out back and really weren't expecting this, um, and probably feel all of the shame of it all, um, and, and not handling it properly, um, is just, you know, just, uh, the ability to say, Hey, Hey, shame off you. If your heart is in the right place, then you can put this in the right space. Um, yeah. Kid, kid, could you, could you talk to that for a second? Yeah. I mean, it's easy to feel that. I was telling someone the other day, like, I feel, you know, I spent, I mean, I spent like almost 20 years, you know, funneling people, my majority of my life, you know, picking people up on vans and buses and taking them to these kind of churches and encouraging them to go to these Bible colleges. And, you know, and there is, there's some level of, if something does ever happen at the church I grew up in, I'm going to feel some level of responsibility there. And that's valid. I think I should feel some of that. Um, I think that's part of that empathy, but also, it's not my fault. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's also a level of it where you can take responsibility, but not blame, you know, like there, there, the, the blame is always the, the abuser. Um, and so a pastor, unless he is the abuser, shouldn't feel a hundred percent of the blame. Uh, if he is, he should, <laughs> but, but if it's someone in his church, he can feel responsibility. Like I should have secured this more. I should have vetted this person more. All of those things are very valid. Um, but yeah, I, I think, Again, like my message to pastors is it's all in the response. Um, and, and and I understand the biggest the biggest feeling coming into this, because I feel this all the time, is I don't know how to address these topics. I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know how to encourage people. I don't know, like, I, I don't know how to speak truth to the situation. But here's the really cool opportunity that we all have, especially if you have a platform like a podcast, if you've got a platform, like a physical platform in your church, there are people who do know how to respond to these issues and you can platform them. Um, I, I, I was pretty frustrated. There was, a, there was an independent Baptist pastor who was going to put on a conference addressing sex abuse in the church. And I was like, that's great. Um, and then I found out a little bit later that he wasn't going to have any women speaking at the event because he didn't believe in having women stand in the pulpit. <laughs> and I was like, how are you going to do a conference on rape and abuse primarily against women and not allow women to speak and tell you what's happening? And so even then, well-intentioned, but you're allowing what you think is the best route to dictate how it's going to be dealt with. And the truth is the reason that a lot of this happens is because people have chosen what they think is the best route. And so you have to bring in voices. Right. You have to bring yeah. in experts yeah. who know how to deal with this. And I do that on my show. I'm not going to tell people how to deal with counseling a victim of abuse. I'm going to bring on a trauma therapist to talk about it. I'm going to bring on someone who, you know, fill in the blank, whatever area that you want to get into. Um, you have to bring in people who know how to speak into it and give them the platform. You either have the position or you have the platform to give someone the position. And uh, wherever you find yourself, like, just make the move to to pick the person who needs to speak into it. Yeah, I think the the last thing that I wanted to ask, uh, and I guess this is more of like from the the Christian's perspective, because 
I was listening to, uh, like I said, one of the episodes and my wife was in the car with me and she's just like, what, like, what is wrong with these people? And <laughs> how is this stuff happening? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. And she goes, so, and this is probably more of a question maybe for Jordan uh, with his, uh, his master's in divinity. Because uh, <laughs> it's a theological question. Yeah, because um, I'm not the guest here. I know, I know. But uh, she says, like, what happens to these leaders? Like, these leaders who get it so wrong, but they claim to be saved. They claim to be, you know, following the same God that we do. Like, what happens to these guys? And it, that's a really tough thing, I think, for Christians and non-Christians to, like, believe. Because um, reform is such a a heavy word. Um you know, I, I've even had conversations with people about people doing things like this. Like, is there any reformation for pedophiles? Is there any reformation for people who do these egregious acts? And uh, the Bible tells us there is. Um, but, you know, w- what do you think? Yeah, I'm just going to say this real quick. Yeah, um, No one is beyond redemption. And how we figure all that out, that's nuanced. But no one is beyond redemption. If that was the case, then Jesus didn't need to die on the cross because we were all going to go to hell anyway. <laughs> Eric. Yeah, I mean, there's two different terms here, right? There's redemption, there's restoration, you know? And so someone can be redeemed, uh, you know, and again, we're not redeemed by our own merit. So that's the whole beauty of the invitation is that our sins are put on Christ, his righteousness is put on us. But, But when you look at the idea of restoration, do you restore someone to the same position? Do you give someone the same responsibility? Um, I, th- I think that conversation, especially in this topic, is is one that is a difficult one because yes, um, someone someone can and someone and people do point to David. They point to Paul. They point to all these different people who did egregious things. You know, Paul was murdering Christians and then became like the premier evangelist. You know, and then you have uh, King David. You know basically raping Bathsheba, um, you know, a girl who's bathing on his root, uh, tries to commit murder, all, all these different things. And he, you know, becomes a, again, a Christian leader God uses in his plan. Um, here's the thing though, in most of these cases, I have yet to see one of these cases where I see true repentance, where there's this functional kind of repentance and in, in acting uh, in this way. I think, uh, I, I just had a guest on who reported his own father, who was a pastor, um, and he talks about the level of deceit that's present when it comes Boy. to these topics. Um, that episode's actually dropping this weekend. Um, and, and his name is Jimmy Hinton. It's just amazing hearing him talk about it. But he just says, with the level of deceit, with the manipulation of family, pastors, uh, congregation, and the individual, and their parents, all these different things, if they can do that for years, months, if they can work their way into these positions and do that, what's to keep them from doing it again? And so, again, can they be redeemed? Absolutely. But I don't think you should put them in a position because the number, uh, I'll just shorten this really down because I know we're right at the end. The number one uh, thing that, that the, prisoner, uh, the prison guard that deals with the, uh, with the prisoners uh, told Jimmy Hinton was the number one thing that, that every pedophile and rapist has in common is they're very compliant. They're going to do whatever it takes to get out of prison. So anything you say, yes, sir, no, ma'am, they'll open the door for you. He told, uh, he told someone, uh, or he talked to someone who was on the parole board. He said, what are you looking for to see if someone's actually reformed? And they said, we just look to see if they're compliant. <laughs> so the, the symptom and, and what they look for as the cure are the same thing. 
And so I think where, where the conversation really goes to is you need to find a way to put real safeguards in place. I don't think you put them in the same position. I think you can do home Bible studies. I think you can minister to them with a, a male only group. I think there's a lot of options there. I don't think they need to be in a pastoral position again. Um, I, I just think, um, I mean, yeah, the Bible talks a lot about staying far away from people who are deceivers, manipulators. Um, and I think you just need to keep that accountability in place and have that distance between you. That's a very short version of a, of a long answer, but I know we're, we're really tight on schedule here. <laughs> yeah, man, but good God, it was all worth it. And uh, for what it's worth, you're, you're coming back. So don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> we can break down some more stuff later. Yeah. yeah that's, that sounds great. Uh, anything else? We got about six episodes out of that, that question. Dude, so. Seriously, we did. Yeah. That's good. Dev, anything else from you, man? Uh, no, I don't think so. Thank you for taking the time and, you know, yeah, walking sure. through this stuff with us. I look forward to listening to more and more of the stories. I mean, Ford, I guess, is maybe maybe not based on your description of what it is that you talk about. Um, no. You know, I guess a part of you wants all this stuff to end, but then you run out of content. So it's a, it's a catch-22, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to listen to, but it's also, I mean, necessary. And then I also think, like, I mean, it's hard. It's been hard for me, but I think it's also been incredibly healing. So there's many layers to it. Um, and I think part of healing is that pain initially. You got to rip the Band-Aid off before the, the wound can heal. So, yeah, moment. no, totally agree. So real quick, folk, where can, where, where can we find you, sir? Um, you can find me at PreacherBoysDoc, so PreacherBoysDoc.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Um, you can find me, I'm sure you can put it in the show notes, but it's just at Eskorzinski on Twitter and Instagram, but good luck uh, spelling that because someone just upchucked the alphabet and uh, that's my last name. So um, but yeah, Preacher, <laughs> Preacher Boys Doc is the best place to find me anywhere. Excellent, so. excellent. Well, thank you so very much, man, for coming on. We appreciate you, brother, for sure. And uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to the, the latest and greatest episode. Please don't forget to like, share, subscribe, download all that stuff for these evil algorithms. And of course, uh, wash your hands. Wear your mask. Thank you. Because it's still, people ain't, never mind, I'm not going there. We, the cuss outs are real. That's all we got to say. Uh, and of course, as always, please continue to be in, to inspire because that is what the inspired one does. I'm Jordan. I'm Devin. We'll catch you next time, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be safe out there. Peace. Engineering by Devin Chandler. Editing and production, Jordan Brown. Digital media and graphics, Alyssa Wise. Interface and program relations, Delmar Gibbs. Thanks again for listening to the latest and greatest episode. Please don't forget to follow us on FB, Inspired One Enterprises. On Insta, at I underscore the number two underscore I podcast. And of course, Please subscribe to your favorite podcast platform 
Download, rate, review, and share. Be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. Thank you once again for all your support. Keep rocking. Peace.